Acts chapter 8. We're sticking with Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, but uh, we're out of the gospel of Luke just for this week. And believe it or not, in about the next 25 minutes, I want to cover the whole chapter. It's doable. Be all right. It'll give you some stuff to take home to. How's that? In Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyr um, lost his life, Stephen. Powerful story. Verse, in verse 1 of chapter 8 says this, And Saul approved of his execution. So Saul, who would become Paul. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. What a joy to see Sammy baptized, to know that there's rejoicing in heaven over one soul that comes to repentance, that puts their trust in you. Oh, we pray that those baptismal waters would be broken many times here in the coming months by those who have put their faith in you and are ready to share it publicly. Thank you for the saving work you are doing here in Riverton, in Utah, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we confess that we are creatures of comfort. We really want to kind of enjoy everything we can out of this life. And we are slow to be uncomfortable. But God, as you move your great work around this world, would you help us to embrace it? To love what you are doing, to be excited for where things are going, even when it's not easy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8 is actually a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. See, what's happened in the beginning of the book of Acts has all happened in Jerusalem. It's all happened where Jesus was and where he lived and died and rose again. It's all happened kind of in that place. And that's where everybody is. That's where all his followers are camped out. And that's natural, isn't it? That we, we kind of start where we are. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus had said something very powerful before he left, hadn't he? He told his followers, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the world. And Acts chapter 8 is the moment where the good news of Jesus fans out. But like all change, <laughs> it stretches us. It wasn't easy. It stretched the followers of Jesus. 
Now, maybe they were in Jerusalem strategizing about a good plan to reach the ends of the earth. Maybe they thought they just needed a little longer prayer time, a few more dinners with friends. I don't know. But God said it was time. The winds of change were blowing. About a uh, year ago, we introduced my son to Mary Poppins. And there's a powerful scene at the beginning of the movie, the original movie. By the way, how, how many of you have seen Mary Poppins in some form? That's, okay, that's what I thought. How many of you are like, that sounds like Gone with the Wind? <laughs> okay, that's how I always felt as a kid. People would make Gone with the Wind references. I'm like, I don't know where the wind went or where it's gone from, but okay. <laughs> there's this powerful moment at the beginning of Mary Poppins where all the, the nannies are lined up at the door, right? To help the Banks family with their new need, and it's a bunch of nannies like the old nannies, and that hasn't gone so well for the kids, has it? And then the wind shows up in kind of one of those humorous scenes that you're not sure if you should laugh at or not, right? Like older ladies being blown through the air. I always feel this little tinge of should I laugh at this or not, Um, but there they go, and my son always laughs, so then I figure it's okay, and uh, the, the deck is cleared, and then Mary Poppins sails in, and you realize from a very early moment that nothing is going to be the same. That Mr. Banks' perception of how this nanny thing is going to work is going to be turned on its head. And you watch the experience of the children, and, and everybody has a little bit of a hard time adjusting, but, but change has swept through the Banks' household. And what happens in Acts chapter 8 is that change sweeps through God's people. And it sweeps through in a way where their friends and their neighbors and the world will never be the same. But it starts at kind of an unexpected place, doesn't it? Because God is changing things through our times of significant suffering. We all kind of want Mary Poppins to show up at the door and, you know, to be able to jump into chalk paintings and do all these things. But oftentimes the change that God does and the way that he works in the world is through pain, isn't it? It's through discomfort. It's through disruption. It's through a diagnosis that we hoped we would never have. It's through a family situation that rocks our world. Oftentimes, God works through hard things, doesn't he? And that's exactly what happens to the people of God who are hanging out at Jerusalem. Verse 1 says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. They buried Stephen. They wept over him. And Saul, verse 3, was ravaging the church. That word ravaging is probably a lot what you would picture of like a wild animal tearing something apart. And can you imagine if we experienced something like these Christians experienced? where, Where something in Salt Lake City just disrupted all of life? And our worlds were turned upside down and and now it was actually dangerous to our lives or to the point of imprisonment to be a follower of Jesus. That would be disruptive, wouldn't it? This was a time of tragic, tragedy yet glory. It was a moment of grief. It was a moment of really hard and difficult suffering. But the scattering led to new opportunities and new places, didn't it? It actually drove God's people into all kinds of places they never would have gone naturally. It sent them to the place, didn't it, that Jesus went through on purpose 
when he said, I, I have to go through Samaria, and he met with the woman at the well. And his disciples were like, no, 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 we don't have to go through there. That, that's the side of town we don't, de- that's, not our, that's not our people. There was generations-long conflict there. They were not friends. There were not close relationships, and yet God was pushing them out. There's a couple interesting words here. The word in verse 2 for devout men buried Stephen. And then in verse 1 and again in verse 4 for being scattered. They're actually farming ideas. From the time of Herodotus, who's the father of history, and some of you are like, that guy's fault. It's that guy's fault. I have to sit through history class. The word buried actually had this really cool connotation of that which precedes the harvest. The, the thing that went into the ground that would one day bloom and blossom. So while people from the outside might have looked at Stephen's death and the persecution to come as the likely end of the church, they radically misunderstand how God works. He loves to take death and turn it into life. The word scattered, you can almost hear the seed picture in there, can't you? God scattered his people. And it reminded me of what Jesus said in John chapter 12. Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know, that's a nice way of Jesus saying it's time for me to die. And Jesus knew, be buried and rise again. But, but my death is imminent. I must go to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus' heart is. And what does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. You say, that's good for Jesus. I'm so glad he did that. We should read the next few verses. That actually says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever hates his life for my sake will find it. And then it says, if if we're going to go the way of Jesus, then we have to be committed to this kind of life. God is changing things in the middle of suffering. Verse 4 is so powerful, isn't it? It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I think this is where the breakdown is for us sometimes, isn't it? That when we go through hard times or suffering or God disrupts or or messes with our lives, um, we're, we're not prone to look for outward-facing opportunities were kind of prone to come inward. And so if God moves us to a new job or a new place or a new community or new relationships or he, he kind of blows up our world in some way, this is a great reminder that he's doing it on purpose for good. There's a great quote, it's, it's easy to say but it's hard to live, that God never wastes pain. He's always doing good things. Do you believe that? I struggle to believe that sometimes. God, how could this thing be good? How could this situation turn out in a positive way? It just doesn't seem like there's any way that could happen. And this story is a powerful reminder that God works in our suffering. Danny has reminded us that as Luke wrote, Luke and Acts, he wanted us to have confidence 
and in the middle of hard things, our confidence doesn't rest in what we can wrap our brains around. Our confidence rests in God is at work. God is changing things. And the response is powerful in Samaria, isn't it? I love verse 6. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. There was, there was zeroed in focus. So I'm always trying to get from my son, like, right here, buddy, <laughs> right here. And they were like, rapt attention. And they heard about Jesus, and they saw God work powerfully, and they believed. And how does verse 8 end? So there was much joy in that city. Do you know no matter what you're going through, this is the end of the story when God is at work? You say, but the pain right now is crushing. Mm -hmm. The thing I'm dealing with, you can't even understand. That might be true. But God's working. He's working in you. He's working all around you. And he's doing it in such a way that he gets glory and you get good and it all ends up with joy. You say, right now I can't see it. That's because sorrow does what? It endures for a night and joy comes in the morning. But you know what's cool about living in this world that God made? The morning always shows up. Isn't that awesome? Always shows up. And it's almost like every day God is reminding us that the morning is coming. You know, for some of us, the morning may not happen even this side of eternity. But one day, when we stand before him, the morning will be here. God is working. God is changing things, even when it's hard. The second section of chapter 8, which we won't spend a lot of time on, some of you were really excited when you saw this because you're like, ooh, this is fascinating. It actually is. It's a compelling story. But as God is working in this new place, changing things, he actually um, works right around, and it seems like in the life of a man who was the great one, right? Verse 10 says, all the people, this guy named Simon, they all paid attention to him. He was a magician, like the David Blaine of his day. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. You ever been wowed by something? Amazed by it? Some feat of strength or some, some trick of magic or something? I have. And this guy, whatever his power was or wherever it came from, he wowed people. And the whole town was like, you got to see this. He was selling out the shows. And then the truly great one shows up. Not Philip, but Jesus. He starts to change people's lives and heal them. And Simon says, I want in on this. And so while people are believing, he claims he is too. He gets baptized with everyone else. And, and the people are coming to Christ. There's an interesting moment here of the uh, apostles coming down from Jerusalem, laying hands on these people, giving them the Holy Spirit. I think that's a unifying thing that's happening there, not a timing thing or a, a real different thing. It's actually God um, syncing up Samaritans and Jews from Jerusalem. So I think that's what's happening there. Um, but then it becomes clear that he doesn't really believe. He actually wants to buy power. And so when he sees people having power, he says, I want in on this. How can I buy it? And the disciples call him out and say, that's not how this thing works. 
that to truly know Jesus is to receive him by faith as a gift, not to buy some sort of magic power from him. And it's convicting, isn't it, that sometimes our own faith or someone else's faith is grasping at what we can get, how we can have something. And it's a good reminder that saving faith is a gift from God that truly changes a person from the inside out. But in the face of this guy who was the main attraction, God just keeps on working. We live in a town, a city, an area where there's another faith that's the main attraction that claims to have power, but it's not true. The great one is Jesus. God in flesh lived, died, rose again offers to save you, not because of anything you can do to impress him, not because you can prove yourself worthy of him, but because he died in your place so that you can be born again, right? God is changing things in the face of committed competitors like Simon. But I wonder this, how did the brief life, death, and resurrection of a man from Nazareth, I mean, Jesus only lived like 33 years. His ministry is only three years long. How did it become the largest and most impactful religion in the world? I mean, this is the spread of Christianity in the first about 500 years after Jesus. The the dark purple is in the first couple hundred years. And if you see the box, where did my box go? There it is, right there. That's Jerusalem. How does it do this? How does God do that? The answer, he changes things. He works. Because the final idea from this chapter is this. God is changing things by his power to the ends of the earth. Isn't this cool? Danny reminds us often that this is not us going to Africa or to the Far East somewhere we are at the ends of the earth from this perspective. And so we read this powerful story, and this is the one that my heart was drawn to even as we thought about baptism today. Verse 26, after all God's work in Samaria, by the way, it's interesting that God was using Philip and people were believing. Verse 14 says that everyone knew what God was doing in Samaria, but then God takes Philip and he picks him up and he sends him to go see one guy Say, why would God do that? Why would God take a a flourishing work and reroute this guy for one person? (coughs) By the way, isn't that cool that that's how God works? So often I'm like the disciples who are like, I'm strategically like, this is where we got to go. And I'm like, that guy who's yelling over there, that blind Bartimaeus guy, we don't have time for him. Those kids, they're going to delay our schedule. That's not how God is. Maybe you feel like the one in this room today. And maybe the thought is, maybe God doesn't really have time for me. This is how God works. One life, one person, one situation at a time. It's powerful. God is changing things to the ends of the earth. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. Look at Philip's response. And he rose and went. Look back to verse 26. Rise and go. Verse 27. He rose and went. 
And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. No accident. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, right? Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is how God works. Isn't it amazing? God works in people's hearts through his word. It wasn't just that the people were scattered everywhere. It was that they were telling people and opening and coming alongside what God's word was already doing. This is amazing to me, guys. I just got to tell you, if, if you'll plug in and have your antenna up to where God is working, you will see this happen. Not exactly like this, right? Like you're not, I'm not going to go vanish to Arizona today. Like whoosh, Matt went to Arizona, met this guy in the desert, you know, and told him about, not like that. But I'm telling you, if you live with your antenna up, prayerfully ready for God to work, guess what he'll do? He'll work. And most of the time, he'll do it in ways where it wasn't because you had an amazing plan. It was because he's God and he's changing things and he's changing people. I think we learn a few things from this interaction that I want to give you as a help. How do we embrace God's work in the world? By the way, let me go back real quick. I put Isaiah 56 on the board there, uh, if you want to dig in a little bit more there. And that's because it's always been God's plan to work in the whole world, not just with a certain group of people in a certain place. And Isaiah 56 is actually God directly saying to uh, people outside the nation of Israel and to eunuchs, which we won't get into that, uh, that they are welcome. I mean, this guy went to Jerusalem to worship. He was searching, but he didn't find what he was looking for. But God found him. And so Isaiah 56 is this cool connection where uh, God's, or Isaiah says that God's house will be called a house of prayer, a house for all the nations. And he actually directly references a situation like this. And here it is fulfilled. It's very cool. How do we embrace God's work in the world? Let me give you a few, a few things here. The, the one I read really clearly and simply reminds us to follow God's leading. Listen, read God's word, let him lead you. And when he says go, what should you do? Go. When he says stay, what should you do? Stay. When he says speak to someone, what should you do? Speak. Anybody ever, ha ever had this happen? You're like, oh, this is definitely not the right time. So that's just me. Anybody else get nervous? Anybody else sitting in a conversation with a coworker and you got the Holy Spirit? He's not even just like, he's like jabbing you in the ribs. And then our minds start making up excuses, don't they? 
We're like, I don't know about this. Follow God's leading. Look for God's moving. It's clear that this guy is seeking the Lord and God is seeking him. And we have abundant promises in the word that those who search for God will find him if they search with all their heart. And God is working and this guy's reading and he has questions. So observe, listen, ask questions and answer them. And that's what Philip did. You say, I don't have the answers to all the questions. Welcome to the club. I have yet to meet a single person who's like, as I talk to people about Jesus, I'm always ready for whatever question will pop up. You know what you can always say? That's a great question. You know what? Let me go do a little research on that and I'd love to come back and follow up on it. Great question. And then celebrate God's life-changing work. That's what we did today. We cheered together. We rejoiced together. Like the angels rejoice over one sinner who finds Jesus. Man, sometimes we get really in the dumps. But God is working there's reason for us to have joy. Look how this passage ends. The, the, the Ethiopian eunuch believes, asks to get baptized. He gets baptized. Verse 39, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. Here it is again. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, whoosh, whisked to the next place, found himself at Azotus. That was actually on the map there. You wouldn't have known to look for it. It was on the map. It's one of the towns right by the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the Ethiopian eunuch's from North Africa, like just past probably Alexandria in that area, south of Egypt. So here's God's work spreading to the ends of the earth. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What did Philip do? Just went back at it. Rinse and repeat. Do it again. And I'm telling you something. As you get to know people and you get to see what God's doing in their lives, and you get to see him changing their lives, you know what you want to do? You want to rinse and repeat. You want to do it again. You want to see God do it again. Some of us, maybe our hearts are a little cold, but it might be because we're a little rusty and we're out of the game. And we just need to ask God, God, who have you put me around that like this guy is searching? Who have you put me around that you're at work in their lives? Where are you making change? God's work brings us great joy. Yes, it's hard. I, don't, I do not want to minimize what these people were going through because I don't think we even grasp it. But God was working. He was working in them and he was working in the world. The winds of change are blowing because God is working. They're blowing around here, right? I see Nate and Julia back there. We're having a baby shower for twin girls. That's not going to be winds of change. <laughs> That's going to be a five-star tornado. Because if you know Nate and Julie at all, they are buttoned-up people, right? We, we both have some New Hampshire roots, and I mean, they, they cross their T's and dot their I's, and they got a zoom. And God is like, this will be fun. <laughs> and they're laughing, and they don't even know. <laughs> right? I mean, they know, but they don't know. I was trying to think, I've known some twins, but I think they're all kind of like in the middle of the pack. In they're getting it right out of the gate. Here we go. Winds of change. Will it be hard? Yeah. Will it be good? Will God be working? Yeah. We're gonna go to two services next week. I know, we're having twins as a church. 
twin services. You say, I don't like it. Okay. What don't you like? Well, I like it when we can all meet. Do you see what's happened in here? Like, we almost can't all meet anymore. We're just jam-packed. And it's not because this is anything great. It's not because we like magical plan. It's because God's working. Don't you want to see people in here? Don't you want to see people trusting Jesus? Don't you want to see them grow? Don't you want to be part of a church where God is at work? Because it could be easy for us to say, not really, not that much. Like, I like to be part of a church where God is at work as long as it's not disruptive in any way. That's Acts 8. And by the way, do you know the people who became a problem in the book of Acts? Were people who couldn't handle how God was changing and working. And they fought it. You got two options. I'll give them to you. Don't like it. Okay. Got another option. Okay, God. You're at work. I welcome what you will do. Let's pray. God, you're amazing. You work in us, you work through us, you're at work in the world, you're saving people, you're changing us, you're growing us, you're doing a thousand things and we see two of them. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you're doing. We confess that it makes us uncomfortable sometimes. We experience pain and suffering, though probably not to this degree, but in varying ways. It's easy for us to get frustrated. It's easy for us to want to fight you. But God, would you help us to lean in to the changes that you are making, to get involved with your work in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? God, would you help us? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just have three simple questions for you. Question number one, are you going through pain and hard things, which you are because you're human, but are you going through those things and you needed the reminder this morning that God is at work. He's working in you. He's working in people around you. He has a purpose for the pain. Question number two. Are you embracing the changes God is making in your family, in our church? Are you leaning in, ready to talk about Jesus in the midst of whatever is going on? And then question number three, are you like the Ethiopian eunuch maybe? And you've been learning about Jesus and your heart is opening up to him. You still have some questions, but it's, it's, it's getting to be time for you to put your trust in him. In the book of Corinthians, Paul says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. We would want you to always know that whether it's the pain whether it's the change, whether it's saving faith, ready to trust in Jesus, we would love to talk to you. We would love to have an opportunity to pray with you, answer your questions. Or maybe you just need some time with God as you ponder these things. God, thank you for not leaving us comfortable, but for always being at work 
Please help us to stay tender and open and joyful, even when it's hard, knowing you do all things well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.